You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. This is your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. And yeah, use the right microphone right out of the uh, the start today. We have a, a busy weekend. Uh, the Betts deal, of course, we have to talk about, but there was another minor deal that I, I found very interesting. Um... To, to talk about and then on top of that the indians did make a small addition a minor league invite um you know hey something is better than nothing right let's let's just be honest with ourselves we'll take some news let's lead off talking about this small bit of indians news cameron rupp minor league contract um i'm sorry if you wanted more than that uh you're looking at a guy who was a third round pick of the phillies you know, he was uh, played in 105 games in 2016 with them and was close to a league average bat. Um, he's been able to hit throughout his career to a degree in the majors. I mean, his, his OPS plus is, is an 88 in nearly 300 games played. Uh, he hasn't appeared in the majors since 2017. So I think that's all we really need to say. But it's it's a nice depth to have. Like, you always need more catching. The Indians definitely are lacking catching in the upper minors, especially we talked about after the loss of Eric Haas. Um it's it's depth like i said you need this uh catchers break uh catchers bodies are put under tons of stress and uh you need depth and the indians have no prospect depth at that position at all so yeah we're moving on uh cameron rupp whatever (laughs) it's okay but that that's our big indians news what deal to go with first? So let's just talk about the bets deal. You know, it broke in the middle of the, the one podcast and then it fell apart, but it's back on. And now we, we kind of had the definitive one. So I talked about I didn't know how much, but I expected a lot of money would be picked up. Um, and the answer to that was half. So instead of being a $32 million a year guy, he's a $16 million a year guy for David Price to the Dodgers. Um, the Reds weren't in love with the uh, Brutus Stars. Um, injuries. So uh, he's now going. I thought it was interesting that of that, so what? It was 96 million. So 48 million is going to the Dodgers. 10 million of that they're routing to the, the Twins, which will pick up. I mean, if Kenta Maeda hits everything in his contract, I, I did the math. He's going to make like 13 million a year. And they're not hard to hit. He's just got to pitch a bunch. So there's a legitimate chance he's going to hit all of those little things in his contract. Um, so it would pay for less than a full season if he, you know, if he hits all of those, it means he pitched a lot of innings and pitched well. Um, the Twins aren't going to care. They're going to be probably very happy. But it does mean that, you know, it's $10 million the Twins don't have to worry about this year. And in exchange for that, um, uh, Gatriol, Gatriol is going to them. And I thought what was interesting, lesser known talk here was that reporter Luke Rayley is going to the Dodgers. Now, why is that interesting? Because uh, the Dodgers drafted Rayleigh. He was someone that went over to them in, uh, I'm trying to remember what trade, uh, I think the Dozier deal, right? Dozier ended up with them. I think he was part of the Dozier deal. And he was a seventh round pick, Lake Erie College, which is in, in Painesville, Ohio. Um, he is from Hinkley, Ohio. You know, Luke Rayleigh is an Ohio kid who the Dodgers drafted in the seventh round. And I completely missed the boat on him that draft season. I just didn't, I mean, I wasn't even familiar with Lake Erie College before it came up. You know, it's like a D2 
D2, D3 school, and that's just not part of my coverage area, even when it is in my own backyard. But they gave him a decent signing bonus. He got six figures. This wasn't just a small school senior sign type. Uh, he's had some good numbers in the minors, but he went over in the Dozier deal, and they liked him enough to get him back here to, to insist on his inclusion for the deal for them. Uh, good numbers, very limited, just 38 games this year. I believe there were some injuries. He is 24. Has he, had turn, he has turned 25, turned 25 in September, so he's a bit older. But he's had some power in the minors and some other things that stood out. Like, he's produced. Uh, minor league uh, OPS of 833, six, uh 361 slugging, 472, or 361 on base, 472 slugging. So yeah, good numbers um, in the minors. And again, the Dodgers wanted to get him back in their system. So they get both of those pieces um, along with adding price. And I mean, honestly, if you're the Dodgers, do you care if uh, <coughs> if Gratch, if uh, good old BG there can't start? No, you're just going to probably put him in the pen anyways. He's ready to go there. He's got the pitches to work. I, I compared him to Emmanuel Class A uh just put him there and go like make your pen even better the dodgers pen is probably their biggest question mark going forward their pen is better with with bg's addition to it so he'll be likely on the roster as a as a reliever um moving forward and Rayleigh's an interesting guy they clearly liked and you know let's say they do lose bets in free agency uh they're gonna want more guys out there competing for that spot now on boston's end of things how do things change well, the, the one of the, you know, still have Verdugo. I'll be honest, um, you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you know I love Connor Wong. Like, I've been a fan of his since he was a catcher at Houston. Um, he was a stolen base machine. He does a bit of everything and does it well. I think he's a really underrated prospect. Uh, he was always someone I talked about if the Indians made a trade with the Dodgers over the last two years. I still think he's a really underrated prospect. Like, he's a guy to me who I think should be considered a top 100 guy. And I know there's someone out there going, whoa, 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 cool your jets. Okay, he's not that. He's not that. But he's a catcher who's very athletic, who played well in college. You know, he's a third-round pick out of Houston. And so far in the minors, 852 on base. Uh, Last year, um, across high A and double A, he hit a combined 24 home runs, 281, no, uh, 269, 350, 480. And, you know, the, the I would like a higher walk rate. Uh, he's still stealing double-digit bases. I mean, it's just, he's doing it all. And I'm just, a fa- I'm sorry, I messed up the line. The line is 281, 336, 541, 878, 24 home runs, 11 stolen bases, 24 doubles. Like, he, there's a lot of skills there. And that's what I get down to with him. I mean, I, I feel like he could be the ultimate super utility guy because he can catch. Um, I don't know if he's ever going to be a great defensive catcher, but you could just have him as all the, like he could be on your bench and you could probably have him playing like second base catcher. He has played second and third in the minors, but you know, essentially you could almost have him as like a backup infielder. Who's also your third catcher who also can play some outfield. Like, I think there's a lot of value in Connor Wong. And then, uh, Jeter downs, it is funny that a guy named for Derek Jeter is going to the Red Sox. You feel bad for him at this point. Traded last offseason, traded again. He'll instantly move into that upper tier of prospects for the Red Sox. He's not flashy. Like, uh, BG is a flashy prospect with some serious ceiling. Uh, Jeter Downs is, like, league average middle infielder. Like, that's that's the ceiling. That's what he's likely going to be. 
Um, good player, but I would much rather have both of those two guys. I think uh, the Red Sox did end up with a better return um, at this point going forward. So let's uh, take a minute, and then we'll come back, and uh, we'll talk about the other trade that I totally skipped uh, out on until recently. And I was like, oh, how did I miss this? We're going to talk about the teams involved and why it's a really fascinating trade. Um, And then we will look at the Jock Peterson deal that's fallen apart, and what could that mean for the Indians? So the Padres and Rays hooked up again. It's kind of interesting that uh, after their initial talk that – they got back together to make another deal. Uh, the Padres added Emil Pagan, who, if you've listened to the pod, I've talked about being kind of iffy on because he is seems to be good year, bad year type of guy. Relievers are inherently kind of um, risky, I guess is a nice way of putting it. Um, but at the end of the day, they... You know, it, it relievers, their value, the most valuable reliever is one who can count on that consistency. And Emmanuel, Emilio Pagan is not that guy. Um, he is was the centerpiece, though, in a deal and will be going to the Padres. And what we've seen so far is the return. It, so that pen, you know, they kept all their pieces. They added Pomeranz. They added another piece as well. Uh, if I go over and pull up the Padres on uh, MLB. Uh, roster resources, I should say. Um, their pen at this, you got Yates, Pomeranz, they kept Strom, they kept Stamen, uh, they've added Pagan. Now, Pagan uh, was excellent a year ago. Um, he was excellent when Seattle traded him to Oakland, and he was terrible in Oakland, so then uh, Tampa got him for nothing at the time. He had a great year for them, and then he was traded to San Diego. We'll see. If this continues, he should be in to kind of like implode this year. Not saying it's going to happen, but we're saying this is innately a position that we see players often uh, struggle from year to year with consistency and a player who has shown that. Now, what what did Tampa get? They got Margaret Manuel Margot, so another outfielder, because apparently they are going to have all of the outfielders. And they also got Logan Driscoll, who was a second-round pick just a year ago by the Rays. Um, George Mason, catcher slash outfielder. I remember being kind of iffy on him um, just because it's hard to hard for me to get super excited about um, someone from George Mason in general. That That's more on me than anything else when it comes to the draft. Interesting guy. A lot of people really liked him, and you can never have enough catching depth, and he goes to the Rays. So they get a catcher and outfielder for a reliever that they – was awesome for them, but uh, clearly they felt comfortable moving on from. And now they have two-thirds of uh, San Diego's outfield from a year ago. They uh, Driscoll will be in the minors, but you look at this team when we go to the Rays, I don't know how they're going to carry all of this depth. It's crazy to look at. So if you assume Lowe at second, Meadows in left, Yandi at third, G-Men Choi at first, right field Renfro, DH Tutsugo, Shortstop Ademes, center fielder is Kevin Kiermeyer. Uh, Mike Zunino is the catcher. All of those guys project as above average or better. All of them. Then on your bench, you've got Jose Martinez, Manuel Margot, Daniel Robinson. Like Those three guys in particular all project as starters for most teams. But they're going to be bench bats here. And then that's not even counting the, the minor league depth that they have. Guys like Nate Lowe I'm not talking about who... Around you know Brendan McKay, if you believe as him as a true two-way guy, Joey Wendell, 
uh, Vidal, Brunha. Like, they have so many pieces. It's an embarrassment of riches for these Rays, and they keep churning. And that's what I think is really the big takeaway. They're never kind of resting on their laurels. They went out and uh, I liked Jesus Sanchez, the outfielder. I was kind of shocked when they flipped him. But, you know, Nick Anderson is going to step up and do an important role for them. Uh, Jose Alvardo did well when given the chance to close. They've got a lot of interesting young arms. We'll see. That I thought the pen was a weakness a year ago, and it still projects that way, and it's even weaker now. But I can't fault them for trading, a, like I said, a, a player who is inconsistent in getting a, an outfielder, adding more depth, and getting an interesting catcher, you know, a, a recent second-round pick. That I, feels like a good value to me. So we'll see how they continue to churn, but, man, they have so many options. The Rays are an interesting, interesting squad. Um, should we talk about the other rumor that came up before we uh, we get into the Indians a bit that it kind of came out this weekend a little bit that the Mets were very much in on um, Francisco Lindor? And, again, listen to the pod. I talked about it. I always thought that they would be the best natural fit, and apparently the hang-up was money. You know, the Mets were already in a, a bad money situation, and they were nervous about play, paying an additional, like, $17 million dollars. So that kind of had that fall apart. And the talk was it would be a three-player package uh, consisting of Ahmad Rosario and two other prospects. Now, that's interesting. Um, you know, the Indians apparently wanted McNeil, so it could have been more than money. But the Mets don't have much in terms of prospects, especially near-ready prospects. So I don't I don't understand how it would be two prospects and... Um, you know uh, what's being you know talked about two prospects and Rosario. Um, it, it just doesn't quite click for me. I think it was likely some of those other guys up at the level, someone like Rosario and Davis or Rosario and McNeil, was probably what the Indians were looking at. Um, but it's interesting that that did get pretty far along, at least to the point where they had some talks about money and the monetary side uh, side of things. But it's also interesting that, you know, for all of their complaints about the Indians and not necessarily complaints, but their concerns about the, uh, uh, you know, the arbitration cost, the uh, they still spent uh, in one year contracts alone about twenty six million dollars. So the Mets likely could have uh, could have easily handled it. And, it, it, you know, saying like that taking on both a big salary and parting ways controllable talent was too much for the Mets, which isn't an unreasonable stance. I'm like, well, it is if you want to get a star player. Um, the Red Sox just traded, you know, a star level player and the other team took on salary of Mookie Betts. None of that money went that way because of Betts. And then they took on, uh, traded away two interesting prospects and a proven outfielder. So one can make a case between Verdugo and McNeil and the secondary pieces like it's it's uh yeah it might have been too much for the Mets but it makes me feel like you know a year ago you look at the Mets and their terrible deal where they took on Cano's money which made no sense to me at the time uh Diaz had been excellent but they traded Kalenic and Dunn who were both really good prospects um so yeah we'll have to we'll have to see how things uh shake out for the Indians, but I think we really have what they're going to be going forward at this point. I think once Domingo Santana signs, that is, I wouldn't expect much more after that. Um, it is interesting that now that Betts is officially done, get ready for all Lindor all the time talk. Like, let's just be honest. There's not a lot of other guys out there who are legitimately 
could be traded uh, uh, kind of at that upper tier of talent. So it's going to become, you know, for a team like the Padres, who are just second fiddle to everyone this year and have a GM, like really, honestly, like the Padres probably are the Indians' best hope because they have a GM who's desperate. You know, they're picking in the top 10 again after signing Machado. They have all of this talent, but they're still not winning games. Um, if there's ever someone who's going to overpay for a player, it is AJ Preller right now. And I mean, I think honestly, the Pagan deal was a massive overpay. And we've seen a few other ones where people have been kind of, um, pointing out where they think that Preller is kind of overpaying, but he, his back's against the wall. Um, it's like when he first came in and made all of those horrific trades to try and contend and they, they didn't. And then he got to rebuild and stick around. And then there was the issue where they were holding back information about, uh, player injury and if you go back you know it's like the whole thing with Colin Rhea that deal um, with Cozart that's where they got Chris Paddock that's how they got him was that deal so there's some dirty shading going on there to begin with and I'm going to be curious to see uh, how things shake out because I think if the Padres are not in the playoffs they're going to have a new GM so just something to keep in the back of your mind but yeah it's going to be all Lindor all the time that's that's a guarantee from this point going forward very quickly, let's talk about Jock Peterson. He is still available. The rumor is that that deal with the Angels fell apart, and we don't really know exactly what that deal was. We know it was um, Andy Pages, who's an interesting lower-minus prospect, Ross Stripling, who's been a solid like swing guy for the Dodgers, and Peterson to the Angels for Louis Rengifo. Now, we also know that Rengifo was supposedly part of the Indians' uh, Kluber talk, so he's clearly someone who is highly valued to multiple franchises. I don't know if Yu Chen Chang carries that same value at this point. Um, it just doesn't feel like it. I don't know exactly what a deal would look like if the Indians wanted to try to step into that place. I don't think they want to step into that place, if I'm being perfectly honest. Jock Peterson should never hit left-handers. Um, he should be a right-handed only bat. But that, I mean, if you put together Peterson and Luplo, you're going to have that combination should be one of the most productive outfield positions in all of baseball. Like they, what they both do, they do exceptionally well. He recently lost his arbitration case. He's going to make 7.75 million. So and stripling is at 2.1. So you're basically looking at around 10 million. If you add both of them, the Dodgers are motivated to try to get under that luxury tax. Um, Friedman has been extremely precious with his high-end prospects, and the way you get high-end prospects is through draft picks. He doesn't want to have his draft picks later. He doesn't want to lose the value of those. He doesn't want to lose out on the competitive balance picks. I mean, I didn't even address the fact that he got a, or I'm sorry, he doesn't want to lose a compensation pick, but he got the Twins competitive balance pick. Like he, he's a big draft guy. He doesn't want to lose value in the draft, so he is very motivated to sell. And that's what it comes down to more than anything else. It's just that word sell. Because could the Indians, would the Indians add $10 million of expiring money? I don't know. Like, honestly, before I'm even willing to consider or, like, look at the pieces that fit together for a Jock Peterson trade, from, from my perspective, I don't know if the Indians are willing to add the $8 million it cost. Um, I mean, maybe. The, the rumor was at one point in time that, they had offered like a one-year $8 million contract to, to Puig, and that didn't come together. And even if you add Domingo Santana, like, again, Peterson is ideal to put out there with Luplo. Like, that combination would be exceptional. You put Fran Mill in the other spot, and you're good. Like, that's going to make the team significantly better. And Stripling, he would make the pen better. He honestly would. He's been such a reliable guy who can start. He can work the pen. He is a solid, solid 
pitcher. Uh, and Pages hit a ton of home runs a year ago uh, in the lower minor. So th- it's interesting pieces. And the other problem in any deal is all we know is that supposedly it was a um, the deal was going to be Red Giffo and a prospect, but we don't know who that prospect is, and that very much matters. Um, just because, I mean, if it's like Brandon Marsh, I mean, that's a significant prospect. That's you know, if it's someone lower down, that's not as significant. But we don't know, and it could be someone of that level because it is a lot of talent going. So it's hard to really guess at um, what a similar deal would look like. And I mean, the natural gut reaction is to be like you, Chen Chang, but Chang's value is down at this point. Um, he hasn't been able to stay consistently healthy. I'm still a fan, but I mean, even people who were fans are no longer quite on board with him at this point going forward. I don't know what the Indians could offer. I honestly don't. I, I feel like you're probably talking somewhere around Logan Allen as a centerpiece. Um, maybe it's Allen and Chang, something like that might work. And I don't know if the Indians would be willing to do that for, you know, two rentals and a, a first baseman. So, yeah, I mean, I think more than anything else, it just, it's money. And it comes down to that. And the Dodgers are motivated to cut some money to get on their luxury tax threshold. And the Indians have a owner who can't afford to own a baseball team. So they cannot afford to add any more salary at this point. So I don't think, before you come at me asking, what about Peterson? I, I just don't see it. I mean, should they? Absolutely, 100%. Um, no doubt about it. Will they? No. I mean, that's I, I hate to be so emphatic, and I would love to be proven wrong, and I would love to come back out here and be like, I was wrong, I was wrong. But I don't see it. I, with the way they have clutched you know, their, their purse strings so tightly, I just don't see them going out and adding $10 million. And I think moving Stripling is important as Peterson. I think for the Dodgers, this is all about getting under that luxury tax. And I don't think the Indians are going to help them out. I don't think the Indians are going to add money. It's it makes it, it still makes that whole Sandy Leone deal all the more like head scratching to me that they're paying so much. But that's you know according to Tito, he couldn't trust uh, couldn't trust Kevin P as a defensive defensive replacement. So uh, now he has a guy he trusts and Leone. So I I don't know. I hate to be that guy, but I think you know what the Indians are at this point is really what they are. I don't think you're going to see any other big moves. Um, Lindor deals are dead. Forget about them until July. Uh, you know, it's basically the Bauer situation all over again. We'll see how things play out. Um, there's a chance they hold them through the entire year, to be honest, too, because uh, Bauer was a pain in their backside and they were kind of ready to be done with him on multiple levels. Whereas Lindor is like a face of a franchise. They they could play it out to next offseason. And as we've seen with Betts, there'll still be trade value uh, at that point in time. So Lindor isn't going anywhere. Uh, they're not going to trade for Jack Peterson. They're not going to do anything. I mean, Domingo Santana at a little more than a million when that gets announced is it. And then it's going to be more Cameron reps of the world, those non-roster invites. And they're going to see, you know, can Bradley Zimmer come back and show that he was that player that we all thought he'd be? Uh, can Daniel Johnson make it impossible to send him down to AAA? Uh, can Christian Arroyo look like the guy who was once a top 100 prospect? Can Chang look like a guy who was a borderline top 100 prospect? They're just going to go to camp, and much like a year ago, they're going to let the chips, uh, you know, lay where they fall, and they're going to hope that uh, a player or two emerges. And that is where the Cleveland Indians are currently sitting. I want to thank everyone for listening, rating, and reviewing. I'll be back on Wednesday uh, doing the three shows a week again for the time being. I want to thank everyone who is joining in and listening, sharing, telling a friend, interacting. All of that is utterly fantastic. I am hoping to have a mock draft come out this week. It has been a very busy week with the day job, 
which then makes it very hard to work on the writing aspect um, just because if the day job is overflowing into home, then there really isn't any time for the writing. So I'm hoping to get that out. If nothing else, I will at least get out the first 30 picks and then do the, the next 19 at a later point in time. Again, thank you all. I love you all. You are all fantastic. And as always, go Tribe.